Alleluia, alleluia. Come, Holy Spirit, fill the hearts of your faithful people and kindle in them the fire of your love. Alleluia. Alleluia. Hear the gospel of our Lord Jesus Christ, according to John. Glory Glory to to you, you, O Lord. Lord. Jesus spoke to his disciples. When the advocate comes, whom I will send to you from the Father, the spirit of truth who who comes from the Father, he will testify on my behalf. You also are to testify, because you have been with me from the beginning. I have said these things to you, so that when their hour comes, you may remember that I told you about them. I did not say these things to you from the beginning, because I was with you. But now I am going to him who sent me, yet none of you asks me, where are you going? But because I have said these things to you, sorrow has filled your hearts. Nevertheless, I tell you the truth, it is to your advantage that I go away. For if I do not go away, the advocate will not come to you. But if I go, I will send him to you. And when he comes, he will prove the world wrong about sin and righteousness and judgment. About sin, because they do not believe in me. About righteousness, because I am going to the Father and you will see me no longer. About judgment, because the ruler of this world has been condemned. I still have many things to say to you, but you cannot bear them now. When the spirit of truth comes, he will guide you into all the truth, for he will not speak on his own, but will speak whatever he hears. And he will declare to you the things that are to come. He will glorify me, because he will take what is mine and declare it to you. All that the Father has is mine. For this reason, I said that he will take what is mine and declare it to you. This is the Gospel of the Lord. Praise Praise to you, you, O Christ. Come, Holy Spirit, and touch my lips. Come, Holy Spirit, and illuminate our minds. Come, Holy Spirit, and fill our hearts with love for you. Amen. I realised that I haven't really preached um, at Pentecost for many years. It's, I always give it to um, the curate or to someone who's on placement. It's a really good training for them. <laughs> so when I came to what are the really familiar readings thought, how, what, what new thing is there to say about Pentecost? We know about the fire of the Spirit, the unexpected nature of what happens to the disciples. And we can make an easy correlation between what happened with them and what happens for us in our lives. That unexpected movement of God, the unexpected God of surprises happens in our life. But what came to me as I was thinking about these readings down through the week, well, longer than that, but particularly this week, was a sense of the word time. That's about time. 
And actually, as we listen to those readings, there's a lot of time, in inverted commas, contained within. We have a lot of expressions about time in our own lives, don't we? We say, goodness, time flies when you're having fun. How on earth are we at the end of May? Or, goodness gracious, it's Beatrix's birthday next week. She's going to be four. Where's that time gone? Or we look at photos of our children or grandchildren on the phones and we say, goodness gracious, Pam was showing me one just this morning. Goodness gracious, I said, hasn't her hair grown long? Hasn't time flown? But where does time go to? Now I know there's someone in this um, congregation who's probably very much more qualified to answer those questions than me. So he can, you can have a conversation with Mike at the end about the physics of the universe, if you like. But I'm coming at it from a slightly different perspective <laughs> this morning. And I got to wondering about things like when the clocks go forward or back and we, we uh, gain an hour or we lose an hour. Well, where does that go? How do we gain an hour? How do we lose an hour? Where does the time of our lives actually go to? And actually, at this point in our lives, in our history, we are living through a time that perhaps none of us have ever even contemplated arriving on our doorstep. But other people have lived through similar times in history. Birthdays happen, don't they? Today is the birthday of the church. Seasons come and go and we mark the passing of time with those seasons, with the changes in our lives, changes in our bodies, in our grey hair, in the need for glasses, hearing aids, whatever it happens to be. Everything points to the march of time that we're not going to get any younger. And in that Gospel reading, And in the reading from Acts, there's a lot of time that is mentioned. Jesus talks about, you have been with me from the beginning, beginning of his ministry. But maybe he's talking about the beginning of the world. He also talks about the hour, the hour that is to come. When the Spirit will come, and lead them into all truth. And then in that Acts reading, we have that picture at the end of the way in which the world will go before the glorious day when Jesus returns. But the time we think about is linear. Birthday after birthday, event after event, moving forward. So you start at naught when you're born and you move forward until old age and death. The time that Jesus is talking about and the time that God is talking about is eternal. God is outside of time and space. Everything that happens has already happened or is about to happen or is happening. 
I want to read you a little bit from a book called The Enduring Melody. It's written by Michael Main. Uh, Michael Main was a theologian, a poet, a, a story writer. All, he was all kinds of things. And he started writing this book when he was really well. And he was talking about what had been the enduring melody in his life. What was the thing that had sung to him throughout the time that he had been alive? And for him, it was his faith in uh, God and how he had lived that faith out or how that faith had asked him to live out his life. And he wanted to look at where that had come from and how had it been the enduring melody of his life. But as he's writing the book, he is diagnosed with cancer and cancer um, that involved a really awful operation on his tongue and his jaw, taking bits of him from other places to repair him. It was a terrible, terrible journey. And he goes into wondering about whether the enduring melody of his faith, whether that is still going to be there, even though he's in this most difficult time. And he starts to think about, towards the end of the book, time and the paradox of it. So I just wanted to read a little bit of it. Theologians and philosophers are intrigued by the paradox of time and eternity. And with the difference of what the New Testament calls kairos and chronos, Kronos is something to be measured by the ticking of the clock. In spring and autumn, we cheat on clock time by adding or gaining an hour, making time flow backwards. Kairos is what we mean by such phrases as the time is ripe, indicating a time of opportunity or fulfilment, those significant moments in our lives which demand a decision and bring about change. The Old Testament prophets look forward to the time when the Messiah will be revealed and the birth of Jesus. In the words of U.A. Fanthorpe's poem, B.C. A.D., was the moment when a few farm workers and three members of an obscure Persian sect walked haphazardly by starlight straight into the kingdom of heaven. This was the moment when before turned into after. And when he comes for baptism, John declares that the time is fulfilled in those moments of birth and baptism and all the subsequent moments of healing, affirming, suffering, dying and rising. The eternal breaks into time. The kingdom is begun and time is revealed as the imposter we allow it to be when we imagine that our allotted ration of birthdays is all that life amounts to. For beneath every passing moment, there lies a moment of a different kind, a reality of a changed quality. It is as if in acknowledging our relationship with Christ, with the one in whom we have always lived and moved and had our being, we are grounding ourselves in a moment that is timeless, not just Kronos, but Kairos too one which speaks of eternity. John Taylor in The Go-Between God presents us with a striking image. 
Do we see ourselves set in the living stream of history and the moment that is now as facing the downstream flow so that our now is coming from behind us and carrying with it all the debris from the past? If so, he says, we are imprisoned in the contradiction between what is and what might have been. Or do we picture ourselves facing upstream so that our now is always coming to meet us? For then our task is to rise to the challenge of what is and what might be. The first way, however realistic, contains nothing of hope or expectation. If we claim the title of Easter people, then it's the second way that rings true to the promises of Jesus. If we say now is burdened by everything that has been, then quite rightly, we can say, well, (laughs) where's the hope? Where's the expectation? Perhaps if the disciples had sat in that locked room and just sat there and going, well, (laughs) great, so we've left our businesses, we've left our people, we've left everything we knew, we followed this geezer for a few years, and well, it hasn't really worked, has it? I know we saw some stuff, we saw some things happening, we saw some people get up and walk, yay, hooray. But actually now, well, not much to do, is there? To sit in this locked room, I suppose praying might help. But they didn't do that. We're told they went from the mountain where they bid farewell to Jesus back and they were praying and praising God every single day. They were living in the hope and expectation of something different. And they didn't know how or what that was going to be until that Pentecost Sunday when suddenly those words of Jesus came back to them. I still have many things to tell you, but you cannot bear them now. And I love that phrase because it's about the kairos of time, the eternal plan, the beginning, the ending, and everything in between, being in that full circle of God, being contained within the full love of God. There are still so many things, Jesus says, I need to tell you, but you cannot bear them now. But the Spirit can bear them and will bear them for you. You don't need to bear them. The Spirit bears them instead. And all you need to do is look out for the Spirit. You just need a little bit of the Spirit to enable you to go into whatever you are being led into. You cannot bear them now, but I will send the Advocate. I will send the Spirit. And he will lead you into all truth. What's all truth then in our time? In a time where everybody has a truth 
and it's a different truth. And everybody is entitled to that truth. How do you experience the time you are living in? How do you experience today? That's your truth. And it will be different to mine. So my truth is different to your truth. But at the end of the day, the thing that has to unite us is that we are human beings. And that whatever we look like on the outside, whatever language we might speak, we are all inhabited by the Spirit of God. That's what the disciples, that was the amazing, overwhelming thing that they came to understand on that Pentecost Sunday, was the Spirit wasn't just for them. It was for all these people in front of them, from all those different nations of the world. It wasn't just for people who looked like them and behaved like them. It wasn't just for people who had left their family behind and followed Jesus for three years. It wasn't just for important people. It was for the smallest person and the oldest person. It was for the fattest person and the thinnest person. It was for the person who was far away and the person who was really near. And it was for the person who believed that they were not at all worthy of having even one flicker of flame of the Spirit upon them. Because when that Spirit got poured out, it wasn't just a little tiny flicker of flame. It was a huge rushing wind and a huge fire and a huge welling up in them, so much so that they come out of the building that they've been locked in. And they stand and they talk. And everyone thinks that they are drunk because they can't believe that these poor fishermen are now suddenly speaking all these languages and speaking so clearly about what Jesus had told them. Suddenly, everything that happened in that holy week where they ran away because they didn't understand where after three years Jesus must have been tearing his hair out saying for goodness sake surely you got one thing that I said but they demonstrate in that holy week that they didn't they didn't understand but does Jesus leave them and say well that's I'm not even going to bother with you then For all the things that you've done, I'm just going to leave you. No, he comes back time and time again in those resurrection appearances and he keeps promising them, I am with you. I will send you the Spirit and the Spirit will bring you into all truth. And what's the all truth? The all truth is the love of God, the eternity of God, the kingdom of God. Well, I think the challenge for us today, in a time where we cannot see what's really going to be happening, we can't perhaps understand why our world has gone upside down and back to front. To hold on to the, that phrase that Jesus says to the disciples, I still have many things to tell you, but you cannot bear them yet. And to live with hope and expectation every single moment of our lives, understanding that that moment that we are living is a moment 
that God is living too in eternity. It's part of the whole eternity. And the Spirit will lead us into the love of Christ. That in his death and resurrection means you and I have the Spirit within us. That we might stand up and praise God, living our lives every single moment of it, as if we're living it with the angels and the archangels, singing those praises never-endingly. Are we going to live our lives in the downstream or the upstream? Amen.